today we are continuing our series on Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 3, we are looking at Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus, and this prayer is specifically designed to encourage and to build up the church, right? So last week, we looked at our stuff. We said, man, our stuff is important, but yet at the same time, it's not all that important. We said there's one overarching problem with our view of our money, our possessions, and our stuff, and that's this. We have an ownership mentality over it. Owners basically say, keep your hands off my stuff. It's my stuff. Leave it alone. has nothing to do with you. But we said, you know what we are? We are stewards. That's what Christians are, not, not owners, but stewards. And we define stewardship like this. We said it's temporary management over something that someone else owns. And when we looked in the book of Psalms, it said, you know what? God owns the earth and everything inside of it. So everything I have, my kids, my life, my family, everything, it all belongs to God and I'm a temporary manager over that. But I do the best that I can with it so that I can honor God with it, with my kids, with my family, with the stewardship of this church for a season and the stewardship of all of my financial resources. And I do that because I want to honor God with it. Now today, we turn the page, and we want to talk about another of our house rules, and that's called genuine family. And one of the things that we all know in the room right now is that family has a massive impact on the kind of person that we turn into, right? And that can be for both good things, and that can be for bad things, right? It can be bad things were passed down from generations, and you're the person in your generation that's going to break that generational pattern. Uh, It could be good things that you now build upon that your parents gave to you, your family gave to you, sense of identity, a sense of culture, a sense of of, um, empowerment, whatever it was that your family gave to you, you think, man, these are great things. I'm going to pass these on to my kids and my family down the road, and I'm going to build on this. But Family has a massive influence on your life. Now, I have to actually believe that not only does your family of origin have an impact on your life, but your spiritual family does too. The health of your church and the people around you have a massive impact on your life as well as you continue to grow and become the person that God wants you to be. So today we're going to be looking at that house rule. And, and, and by the way, if you've not been around here for a while, grace has house rules and they are what establishes our culture. It's not just our theology. We have house rules and they're on the website You can check them out. Uh, they're amazing. Today's is um, genuine family that we believe that the church is supposed to be more than a bunch of unaffiliated people gathering together to hear a lecture, right? We are actually the family of God. All right. So as we begin right now, I just want to kind of take a look at uh, a couple of things. Um, verse 16. Let's take a look at verse 16. We looked at it last week. We're going to go into 17 and 18, which we're going to spend most of our time looking at today. Verse 16 says this, I pray that out of the Father's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. The strength that God gives to us is not the strength of circumstances. It's not the strength of your talents, your abilities, your hopes, your dreams, your looks, your family, your whatever. It's not those things that you lean on to say, I'm going to be strong, I'm going to be okay. Three times in these five verses, he uses the word power, right? Not power as the world understands power, but power that comes not in strength that does not come from our circumstances, but from the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our inner being. Here's what happens. When you become a follower of Jesus, and I'm not assuming that everybody in the room right now is a follower of Jesus, right? Some people in the room are just religious, and some people in the room are not religious at all, and you're checking things out. I came from your tribe. I totally get that, right? But here's the thing. If you are a Christian... 
God comes to you, but he comes to you all at once, right? The Father comes to you, Jesus comes to you, and the Holy Spirit comes to you. But when you become a father and you, you, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is deposited inside of you, right? In your inner being. And that Holy Spirit brings strength and power. Not circumstantial strength and power, but power even if your circumstances and the world around you is constantly saying things that are not building you up. If you're going through bad circumstances, bad and challenging times, the strength that you can gain, the power that you gain from the Holy Spirit in the deepest recesses of who you are is a reliance on him. And so that's what we're looking for, right? And now in today's passage, it says we're looking at it, we're looking for this strength and this power for a reason. And here it is, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is the overarching hope of Paul for the church in Ephesus, and for all churches subsequently, right? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word faith, every time you see it, just change it in your mind to trust because that is what faith is. Faith is trust, right? So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The assumption there is not that Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. In other words, while you may be a Christian, you may be saved, you may be a follower of Jesus, what is really at the core and who sits on the throne of your heart? This is what Paul's addressing here. He's not addressing the fact that everybody, Christ dwells in their heart. But he's saying, if you're a Christian, who really dwells in your heart? I want you to be strong in the spirit. I don't want you to walk in the flesh because I want Jesus to dwell on the throne of your heart by trusting in him. But he acknowledges over and over again that you can be a Christian and other things can dwell in your heart. You can be a Christian and lust can dwell in your heart. You can be a Christian and anger can dwell in your heart. You can be a a Christian, and materialism dwells in your heart. But the problem with that is that it doesn't just dwell in your heart. You don't just think thoughts about it. You become those things. So you don't think lustful thoughts. You become a lustful person. You don't think materialistic thoughts. You become a materialist. You don't just think angry thoughts. You become an angry person because whatever sits on the throne of your heart is what you will become. So his goal is for every one of us that Christ Jesus will dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What is rooted and established? Well, it's super important. The concept of rooted means interconnected. It means interconnected. That we have a series of relationships around us that connect us into relationship with one another. That that is the primary source of which we build our life upon. And when we are rooted, deeply rooted, deeply rooted in, we will be then established. Established means immovable. It means enduring. It means consistent. Do you want to be somebody who in the middle of your circumstances going wrong, you're solid. You're like, this is not going to mess me up. I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be great. Not that pop psychology, positive psychology, think, positive thinking kind of thing. Because you know how positive thinking works best when things are going great. It does. Doesn't it? Like everything is awesome when you're positively thinking, but when you're depressed, you're filled with anxiety and you tell yourself you're good enough. You're smart enough and people like me. You know, you know, when you do that, it doesn't make you feel better because you're just like, no, they don't. And I don't feel better. Right. But, 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 but when, when you are dwelling with God and you are rooted in him and you are connected to others, it will establish you. So I was doing some reading this week. And I read on all kinds of weird things. I love to read on space. I love to read on nature. And I was reading about nature. And I read about this tree. Its name is Pando. It's several thousand years old. It's the largest biological organism, single organism in the entire world. 
And it's actually in southern Utah. This is southern central Utah. And Pando is this yellow grouping of what we would look at and call trees. It's actually a single tree with different sprouts. Genetically, from one side of the tree to the next side, it's about 150 acres. And it is one single root system that connects all of them. It's not multiple trees that have woven their root system together. It's one tree thousands of years ago that basically sprouted a root system grow up, sprouted another tree, went out and sprouted another tree. That's beautiful. It's incredible, but it's dying. After all this time in the past, when fire swept through or some kind of natural disaster went through, part of it would die. It would send these shooters because it's got this root system out. And then all of a sudden these little saplings would grow up. And that's what these other trees look like. I started thinking about it and I was like, man, God is just incredible the way that he takes nature and actually like weaves the kind of the spiritual life into nature itself. This is exactly what the Bible's talking about, about being rooted and established. The way that you endure through all kinds of circumstances is that you're connected, that you're rooted to something else. And when one part of you falls apart, the other part comes along. I've seen it over and over again in 25 years of ministry, two different outcomes with two different circumstances. One is a group of people inside the church that are connected in relationship with other people. They're serving, they're connected, they're in small group, they're engaged, they're fully, it's just like anything else in your life. What you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And they're engaged and something terrible happens in their life because none of us are immune to suffering. It's just, the Bible says that, that, that good, uh, falls on, on, on good and evil falls on both good and evil people, right? And so here's, here's the thing. Those who go through these suffering, whether it's the loss of a child or a loss of a husband or a wife, or it's just something terrible that happens when you're in the body of Christ and you have all these people around you and you are rooted together. I've seen the church come around people and support them and encourage them. They fell down and we're here to pick you up because that's what happens when you're rooted in relationship with other people, other like-minded followers of Jesus. They come along, they pick that person up, they speak hope and life into them. I've seen people lose hope in life and other Christians come alongside who have the gift of encouragement and they'll speak into this person's life and they'll say things to them that they go, man, I've just never thought about life like that before. And they will change over time. Suffering doesn't always go away in a moment. You know that, you're wise enough to understand that. But the reality is, the reality is when you are alone, I've seen the other outcome, when you're by yourself and something like that happens and all you have is just your own resources or the internet to go on to try to figure things out, those people don't recover nearly as well. Oftentimes, they end up being fully depressed and there are tragic outcomes that happen as a result of that. Being disconnected is one of the major mental health problems in our world today. It's also one of the major, major spiritual problems in our world today. We live in a world right now that is so divided. We'll talk about that in just a second. But here's the thing about Pando. You saw a part of that that looked like it was barren ground. Well, the reason why that's happening right now, and this is just, this is just such a, a beautiful picture of, of unfortunately what happens to us, when part of that tree is struggling, it sends these, because it's got this long root system, sends these roots into the ground and sends another like little tree up. But what's happening right now is mule deer uh, are eating these trees when they get to be about this big because they're very tasty to mule deer apparently, right? And because they've, you know, because it's Southern Utah and there's some neighborhoods near this place, they've taken away all the wolves. And so the wolves who would normally eat all of these animals, they, they are taking over and they're killing it. So this thing has been around for thousands of years. Bambi is destroying, right? Because, because it's tasty and they love it, right? But here's the thing about it. It's not protected. It's not one of these trees in the middle of all these other trees. It's this little tree by itself. It's vulnerable. 
And the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking people to devour, to destroy, and to kill. And that's exactly right. When you are by yourself like a little sapling, Satan could pick you off so much easier than when you stand arm in arm with a brother and sister where two or more are gathered together. God says, I'll be right there. He doesn't say, hey, where you're by yourself, I'll be right there. You know what? There is a kind of heresy that's running through the church right now, and it's a Jesus and me heresy. And it's the idea that it's all I really need is just Jesus. And you go, well, that sounds very scriptural and very biblical. It's not at all. There's nothing in the Bible that you'll see, anything in the Bible that says just me and Jesus, we're all good. In fact, let me just give you a picture of our faith from Genesis. Early, early, early on, God calls Adam. He creates Adam, right? And as God creates Adam, Adam's walking around. He says, I want you to look at all these animals and I'm gonna parade them in front of you. And you find someone who's gonna be like your, 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 your companion. He looks at all the animals. He goes, none of them. I like the dog. We'll keep him around. But there's, not, there's like not a whole lot of other things. You can get rid of the cats. And, uh, and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And it was just like, it was like, okay, it's like, great. It's great. But none of it like resonated with him because he didn't see himself in any of those animals. And God looks at Adam. God, God. So it's God speaking, right? He goes, it's not good for man to be alone. I thought about that for the very first time when I heard it. I'm like, he's not alone. He has you. The Bible says in, in, in Genesis that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. But even God said, hey, it's not you and me. It's you and her. It's gonna be you guys together. I'm gonna create a, a, a helper suitable for you. She's gonna look like you. She's gonna be all very different, but she's gonna look like you. She's gonna be your equal and you can pour your lives into each other. It was this incredible, amazing moment. But I thought about it. And I'm like, even God said, it's not good enough for you to say, hey, it's just you and me. And that was pre-fall before everything fell apart. God created us for one another. He made you for relationship. He made you for connection. He made you to be part of a genuine family. And if you're like me and your family was horrifying, then you need to go and find another family. And I believe that family is the church. And if you grew up in the church and your family is wonderful and incredible and you're part of the church, then you bring that DNA into the church and it's wonderful. We are family. We don't divide over silly things that would not matter to Jesus at all. This principle that, that, I, uh, that I used before, it, it's up here on the screen. The voices around us will eventually become the voices in the inside of us. You know what this speaks to? It speaks to the idea that the inner circle of your life has to be other followers of Jesus. The inner circle of your life has to be other followers of Jesus. And the reason for that is because I've had so many conversations with people, um, usually women who come to church and their husband's at home because he's not a follower of Jesus, Husbands that come to church, the wife's at home, he's not a follower, she's not a follower of Jesus. And they're always sad conversations. I, I saw this with my mom because she became a follower of Jesus and my dad wasn't. And it's really fascinating to me because there's a part of you, because if this is your situation, you totally, you're like, I, I, I'm, I understand what you're saying, Pastor Mike. But there's a part of you that when you're connected to another person and you're unequally yoked, that they can't fully understand you. Because if when you became a Christian, the Lord deposited the Holy Spirit in the deepest recesses of your identity, who you are, your spirit, then they'll never be able to touch that or understand that. They'll never be able to get the deepest parts of who you are. They may be kind to you and nice to you and wonderful, and, and that's, that's all you need in the marriage. It's great. But for many of these folks, it's not enough because they're not fully known. And that same thing is true for your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your coworkers, everybody that's around you. Now, we need people who are far from God in our lives. Why? Because number one, we're called by Jesus to care for them and to help them take their next step toward Christ. 
But when it comes to the people who are closest in our life, you have to have brothers and sisters and not just Christians, but people who will spur you on to love and good deeds. People who will challenge you to be the person that God wants you to be. The people who will say to you, hey, you're off track right now. I love you. I'm not gonna judge you or condemn you. I'm just gonna, like a coach, I'm gonna push you back on the right track because I love you and I'm for you and I want God's best for your life. You need people like that in your life. When you fall down, you need people who will pick you up and say, I'm still here even though everything doesn't look good on the outside. Why? Because that's what family does. And if you're like me and you grew up in junked up families where you kind of like look at that and you go, well, that's not how it was for me. That's how it could be here. And that's how it is here with many people. But for some of us, what we need to do to move from this to that is we need to move from being participants on the outside of the church to being participants on the inside of the church. Because what you put into it is definitely what you're going to get out of it. Verse 17 again says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts because he needs to be on the throne of our hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted, connected together, established, not going anywhere, solid, may have power, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, which means to know, right? To know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Look at this. So he says, listen, I want you to have power, but you don't have power alone. You have power what? You have power together. Not by yourself, not on your own. You have power together. We have power together, right? With all of who? The people at your work office? No, the Lord's holy people, the people who are growing in holiness with Jesus. And you know what that does for you? And this is the specific promise behind this is you're gonna be able to grasp, which is to really know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. Now, I'll, I'll tell you right now, and I, and I hope you know this because I'm your pastor, but I love Jesus. I do. But I hope when I get to be 55, I love Jesus more. I hope when I'm 60, I love Jesus more. I hope when I'm 70, I love Jesus more. I hope when I'm 80, if I, God lets me get there, I hope to be just the spiritual dynamo. I wanna be at the top of my game. Why? Because when it comes to really being spiritually mature, it's not about all of the other things. It's about how much you know Jesus really loves you. That's what it is. That's why legalism fails. It's not about what I'm gonna do for God. It's about whether or not I truly understand through the Holy Spirit, how much he has loved me all the days of my life. And when you know that, it changes everything about you. It's the difference between a spiritually lukewarm Christian and one who is growing in Christ. And look what it says. Together, we're gonna have the power to do this but we need to be with the Lord's holy people. And then when we are with them, we will grasp how wide, long, high, and deep the love of Christ is. So this means that you need to be around people in your life who actually know what it means to walk with Jesus in wide and long ways. To know what it's like to be with somebody who's a Christian. Listen, if you're younger, don't hang out with people who are all just your age. Hang out with somebody older. I do it all the time. Hang out with somebody who's older than you. Why? Because they've walked the long path with Jesus. They know what it's like to go through ups and downs and they know what it's like to endure. They've walked the walk. I wanna walk with people who know what it's like to be in the highs and in the depths of Jesus. Spend some time with somebody who is so spiritually deep in your life that their, their prayer life is robust. Their disciplines in their life are robust. What flows out of them is not condemnation, but it's always joy and it's, you walk away just feeling honored every time you're around them. Find someone like that in your life and say, I'm gonna just connect myself to you. Why? Because it's their perspectives that are going to make us a whole and well-rounded Christian. 
We need to have these voices in our life. And if you are an older person, you need to find a younger person and start pouring that into them because they need you. We need each other in order for us to be established. I want to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I have bits of that, and I know that at my age, but I want more and more and more of it. Dave Fox, who's a friend of mine, he's a pastor in this church, and he started the church with me. He's been with me. He said, Mike, we've been together for 25 years. I was 12. <laughs> and uh, he said, he said, he said uh, you know, he said, it's been a long road. And I'm like, it has, Dave. But I, I just remember, like, David's done, just spoken in my life, like, prophetically over and over and over and over again. He did it right before the pandemic, right before the pandemic, one month before the pandemic. He comes to me, and he's older, and he says, hey, Mike. He said, God sent me here to tell you, which I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like, like that's a big, like, I'm not, I don't come from the world where the people are like, here's a word from the Lord, you know? Like, my, I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm like, that's the word from the Lord for me. But when Dave comes, like, it's just a puckering moment. You're just like, Ooh. And I said, Dave, he says, here's a word from the Lord for you. And he said, uh, do not be afraid. And I was like, Dave's slipping. I feel good. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm killing it. Like, I feel great. Like, I feel so encouraged about the year. Man, I think, I think 2019 is going to be great. I think 2020, was it 2019 or 2020? It was, yeah, I think 2020 is going to be great. I think it's going to be awesome. Looking forward to what's happening. And all of a sudden, like in March of 2020, everything just fell apart. And we had to close down the church for like four months or something like that. I used to freak out about closing the church for a hurricane. And I saw God show up and he was just powerful and amazing. And Dave was just in the background going, I'm going to speak this into your life. And eventually I realized that when Dave came to tell me that, it was God saying, hey, the whole world's about to turn upside down. It's going to be a really difficult season of leading in the church. Don't be afraid don't worry. Because he was there to speak into me, to show me how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And at his age, he's seen it all. He's been up and down. So for us, you know, we get these, we we get this desire to be part of the community. And and I want to encourage you, which is the outcome of this message, that I want you to be around people like that who could speak into your life and give you hope and draw into community in real and serious ways. But every once in a while, um, people, call, people call the church. And uh, I don't get these calls anymore because I have people that get these calls now. I used to get them all the time. And uh, I'm so grateful I don't anymore. They're, they're not, they, they don't build me up. And, uh, but they're calls, and they're usually under the guise of, hey, I want to know a little bit about your church. And, but, but really behind it, there's kind of a judgmental heart. And I just want to put this out here because I don't want us to be these people ever, the judgmental heart. So some of these words you may know or not know, but they're very Christianese type words because Christians do this. You know what non-believers do? They, they, they say, hey, uh, you think I'd be welcome at your church? Yeah, absolutely. You'd be welcome at your church. Cool. See you next Sunday. You know, that's it. Christians, this is what we do. All right, here. The first question, we got this last week. So are you complementarian or egalitarian when it comes to your male-female relationship roles? Now, if you don't know what that means, the Lord bless you. Okay, I'm just saying, it just has no, like it's, the second, it's a secondary issue. Here's what they're asking. They're basically asking, hey, do you take seriously what the Bible says about men and women's roles? Or are you really just kind of like a loosey-goosey pagan uh, church, you know? And, and we're always like, well, how do you answer that? I don't know. So, because you don't know which side they're on. The, ne- the next one is, hey, are you a spirit-led church or do you not follow Jesus at all? 
you know? And I'm just like, cool. And that's usually from charismatic people, you know, who call, who call up and they just, they're, they want to, they're looking for a specific kind of thing. But really, these questions are not bad questions. Here's, here's really what's going on, though. They're looking for reasons to divide. They're looking for, because they're looking for their tribe, right? They're looking for people who are exactly like them that reinforce exactly how they think. This is the problem with what we've been trained to do on the internet, you know? Like, we, we're, we're fed stuff that we like, and it reinforces our stuff. And now we're doing that in culture and it's dividing people apart. But if we're going to understand how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, we have to hear that from people who have different opinions than us. And if we don't have that, then we're going to fall apart. Uh, Do you dunk in baptism or do it in a sprinkling unbiblical way? (laughs) Right? You know, I'm telling you, like, I have no problem with dunking or I've done both of them. I've done baby sprinkling. I've done dunking. You know, and I've always joked that when the church gets big enough, we'll just take a hose and just wham. You know, that's, that's we're good. I'll tell you why in a second. So um, do you sing modern songs that are really shallow or hymns that come from the Lord? Um, cool. Um, what's your view on women in leadership? All the women are, they're women, all up here. Like, right? What's, we love women in leadership, um, but, but it's on both sides, right? Because Paul says, you know, I don't permit a woman to, be, uh, to, 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 to teach in the church. I don't permit her actually to speak in the church. And so um, obviously there are contextual things that take place there. And so you've got people on both sides of this. And, and the women in leadership thing has been a challenge for 2,000 years. It's not something that's going to be solved like automatically or in a conversation with somebody. But they're asking a question because they're on one side or the other. And they're not going to be your friend if you're on the wrong side. And it's a secondary issue. Jesus never said this was important. You know what they said? Jesus said, here's what's necessary for you to think about a church and joining a church and being a part of it, right? Number one, the leadership. (laughs) And really this, is Jesus preeminent in all things? Do you teach him as the one and only way to salvation in God? That's the most important thing that you're going to find in the church. Do they teach the Bible? Do, so, so, so here's another one. Uh, are you pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, or mid-tribulation? Right? So they're looking to eschatology down the road, long-term stuff that nobody really knows anything about. This is what you're going to, that's, this is what you're going to divide on. No, no, hold on. Um, do you speak in tongues? I'm like, I don't know any other way to speak. You know, and uh, you know what they're saying, like in the services, do you speak in tongues? We love, I mean, it's a biblical thing. It's First Corinthians. I mean, tongues are a legit thing. We don't do them in the service right now because it's, it, I mean, you imagine somebody breaks out in tongues. You guys are like, what's he talking about? You know, like it's just, it's, it's confusing, right? Paul said, I'd rather you speak in one intelligible word than 10,000 unintelligible ones, right? But do we think it's biblical? A hundred percent. Pre-mill, ah-mill. Do you have kids in the service or am I going to actually be able to focus? I actually agree with this one, so let's keep, let's, this, this is the only one that I agree with. We got this a few months ago. Um, are you diverse? You know, that's one. Um, or are you just a bunch of old white guys, right? Yeah, we've, we've got diversity on our staff. We've got diversity in the rooms. We've got diversity, right? We love that. That's great. You know, more and more of it, more and more wonderful. That's great. But none of these questions are really, really bad questions, but they're questions designed specifically to say, you're not my tribe, And that's not what we're really supposed to be doing as Christians. We're supposed to be looking for unity. Do you know what Jesus said right before he ascended to go and sit at the right hand of the Father? One of the last things he said. He said, guys, he's talking to disciples. He says, guys, listen, one of the ways in which, the way in which the world that doesn't know me will know that I was sent by the Father. Do you know how it's going to happen? It's not going to be evangelism. It's not going to be awesome teachers. It's not going to be these things. He said, 
the unity of the church. The unity of the church will show that. When we are one heart, one mind together, when we're not tearing people apart, backbiting and angry all the time, people are looking at you all the time when you call yourself Christian. They are. They're watching your example. You are a window dressing of God's glory. And as a window dressing of God's glory, we are supposed to represent who he is. And who he is is not divisive. Let's look at who he is. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This right here is the summary of the entire message. Be devoted to one another in love. How amazing. Honor one another above yourselves. Um, That's what the NIV translates it. In the ESV, it translates it significantly better, I think. It says, uh, make it your ambition to, um, it says, I'm sorry. It says, make attempt to show honor by trying to outdo each other in honor. That's what it says. So not just honor each other above yourselves, try to outdo one another by showing honor to each other, right? Think about that for a second. Be devoted to one another in love. My job is to love you. Your job is to love me. Our job is to love each other, right? And when we interact with each other, it's to honor one another. I want you to walk away feeling honored in relationship, in our conversation. I should walk away feeling honored in our conversation, Pre-mill, ah-mill doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is love in this case, right? Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. I am not the most important thing in the world. He, he, in, in verse 11, he says it like this. Don't be lacking in zeal. Don't be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, your passion for the Lord, serving the Lord. Be engaged, he says. Don't be somebody who's a spectator. Be someone who's engaged. How do we do that? Verses 12 and 13. Be joyful in hope. That's easy. When you're filled with hope, man, it's great to be joyful, right? How about this one though, right? Be patient in affliction. That's a little harder. Faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. The strong protect the weak. Practice hospitality. You know, um, this one is, is, is we, we, we do this all the time. My wife is more of an introvert. She's really good with, she's like really good with people for an introvert. But one of the things that we've kind of talked about as a couple is we've said, we don't like to open our house to a bunch of people, but we do to our staff a lot. Why? Because they're the people who are actually doing ministry in your life often. So we want to make sure that we're in great communion and fellowship with them. So we have Christmas parties. We have a Halloween party. That's not the devil's holiday. Uh, we have all kinds of, we do all kinds of stuff like that. It's great. Like we just, we connect. And then I'm at lunch almost every single weekend. I'm sorry. I'm at lunch almost every single day with somebody from the church. Uh, I do dinners frequently with people. We have constant engagement with people all the time. Why? Hospitality is one of the most important ways in which you can show that you care for someone else. Proximity matters. Proximity matters. It's important that we are in connection with each other. Why? Because we want to we show that we are rooted together and that we are connected, that we are established. All right, verse 14 though. This is, this is challenging. And I want you to take some of these verses we're about to look at right now, and I want you to compare both your behavior and the behavior of Christians around the country. Because I think this is very counter-cultural uh, and very, very counter-influential. Verse 14 says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. About a year and a half ago, I think Grace navigated this really, really well because we don't talk politics in church ever. Because again, it's a secondary issue. But Grace did this pretty well, but across the country, I noticed Christians who basically banded together and said, you know what, being kind and being loving hasn't worked for us really well. So now we're gonna be angry and we're gonna yell. Christians. And Paul says, hey church, I want you to bless those who persecute you. When they actively come against you, bless them. You know why? Because when 
you start blessing someone who is cursing you, it changes you, not necessarily them. Bless and don't curse that person. And in and, and, and verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's wonderful. We do that all the time. But when someone falls down, pick them up. They're part of our root system. And so we're going we're gonna to jump in and we're going to help them. He says, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate people with low position. In other words, we're people who are not pretentious with our life. Why? Because we're not prideful people. That's not who we are. Humility drives the Christian. It was a hallmark demonstration of the life of Jesus that he was humble. But look at this, verse 17 and 18. Here it is. Again, look at your life and look at the life of Christians as a whole. Verse 17 says this, do not repay evil for evil. So, when, so the, pre, the, the, um, the premise here is someone's done evil for, to, against you. Don't repay them. Don't give it back to them. The Bible says vengeance is the Lord's, not ours. That is his domain to do what he wills. If you want to pray, God, do what you will in the life of this person who's hurt me, do that. But don't take it in your own hands. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Guys, that's actually written down in my job description. Because in the Bible, it's one of the pre-qualifications for being an elder in the church. That you have a good reputation with outsiders. Not just inside the church with people who come and hear you talk, but with people outside the church that know you. And many of you guys know, many of you guys know that I spend like at least two days a week at the Alphon, riding my Alphon in Winter Park, um, in the lobby, just sitting there. I'll have lunch over there and... Uh, and I'm writing the message out there. Because when I'm here, I'm just having conversations with people all the time. And it's not always productive for writing a message. But when I'm over there, I pray to the Lord. I said, Lord, whenever somebody comes and interrupts me for this in the middle of a message, that's going to be a ministry moment for me. And so I'm just going to take that moment. I have counseled marriages. I've counseled people who are depressed, filled with anxiety. <laughs> and I've said it before. You can go over there and talk to managers. And you can go over there and talk to chefs. And you can go over there. I always walk up to the window uh, in Hamilton's kitchen and just say, thank you so much for cooking me such a great meal. And I have an amazing reputation with outsiders. And the reason for that is because I genuinely care about those guys and those women. I want to see them come to know love Jesus. But in order for me to be able to have that conversation, one of which I had last week, in order for me to have that conversation, I want them first and foremost to know that I love them and I'm 100% for them. And when I'm able to talk to them after that, I'm not selling them something. I'm caring for them. And it's interesting because I say, you can go over there and say that. And every once in a while, I'll come and say, I'll go, hey, I met someone from your church. They were asking what I thought about you. And I was like, yeah, I, I, uh, I tell them to do that every once in a while. And I, they obviously don't trust me, so they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if possible. Look at this. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So, 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 so here's, the, here, here's the, what's inside that. It's not possible always to live at peace with everyone. But if it's possible and it depends on you making that happen, you can never be the reason why you're not living in peace with another person. Take a look at these scriptures and understand that the way that some Christians frustrated with the way the world is going right now got loud and angry is absolutely 100% unbiblical. It's not in the Bible, get pissed off. It's in the Bible, be humble. Walk in the way. Do you know why? Because God's kindness leads to repentance. And our ultimate goal is not to have somebody convert to a political party or some kind of economic system. Our ultimate goal is for them to know and love Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because all of this will pass away. But the kingdom of God, the church, will endure forever. Amen? Father, we come to you right now uh, with just gratitude in our hearts for what you just did. We're thankful for your word. 
there truly is wisdom for our life. And Father, we ask that where we are not conforming to your word, that your Holy Spirit driven deeply into us help seal us for the day of our redemption, God, would remind us that secondary issues are not important. Father, I know that if we live this way, we will not walk in anxiety and fear. We will not walk in worry. We will not work feeling like we're missing out because God, one day we get to see you and that is everything. It's in your name we pray, amen.